welcome to the Alinea Church Podcast. Today concludes our series, In the Beginning. If we're going to know where we are headed, we need to know how it all began. Today, Jeremy will explore a new beginning. Jesus has come to give us a new birth, but what does that even mean? Tune in as we explore one of the most quoted verses from the Bible, John 3.16. Amen. All right, so let's talk real quick. Um, There is something that you have all seen. Hey, guess what happens uh, in the next couple weeks? Football. Football happens, and we're out of, this is the the season of purgatory, in my opinion, when it comes to sports. There's nothing going on that I really want to watch. I don't have cable, so I can't watch any of my favorite baseball teams. But football is coming on, all right? So we got NFL coming, and NFL's okay. I'm a big college fan, but... Everybody has seen this verse every time they watch football because there is some guy in the end zone with a big uh, poster board that says John 3.16. I don't even know if he knows what John 3.16 is, but the whole world now knows that there is some guy named John, and he has 316 of something. They have no idea what it is. But I want to read this verse to you because... It is going to be um, the passage that we talk about, and I'm actually going to, I don't have a lot of this in the notes, but I decided on the drive this morning that I'm going to read the entire passage to you from the chapter of John. But let's just start here. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life will not perish but have eternal life. Now, we're talking about in the beginning. In the first week of this series, we talk about in the beginning, God created. So God created the heavens and the earth. He created you and I. We learned that in the darkness, in the messiness, in the void that was at the beginning, God came in and he created us. He created the world and he gave everything purpose. He gave us purpose. He created us in the image of God. It's a phrase that many of you have heard called imago dei, that you are created in the image of God, and I'm created in the image of God. No matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an Independent, you're created in the image of God, and that everybody is worthy of honor and respect because we are each created in the image of our Creator, right? And also we have a choice. We have a choice every day. Every day uh, to, to pick between the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Every day we have to pick that we're going to follow God. Every day we have to pick that we're going to pursue the things that he says are good for our lives. Every day we have the choice to choose to trust God's goodness. To trust God's goodness. And we know that Adam and Eve, they chose to doubt God's goodness. And that's what gave us the mess that we're in today. And then we learned in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word. And John was creating a, a new genesis when he wrote the Gospel of John. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In other words, the Word was Jesus Christ, God incarnate in the flesh, and he walked among us. He was the answer. Remember, if we, if you, and if you haven't got to watch this, go back and listen to the podcast. But if you look at John 1, 1 through 18, that the very middle of that passage is the most important part of the passage because it says, to everyone who believed in his name, he gave the rights to become sons and daughters of God. Well, today we're going to talk about another beginning, and we're going to talk about a new beginning. Everybody loves new beginnings, right? 
There's something about moving somewhere and starting, a, a starting over. There's something about starting a fresh life. We were excited about moving here. We were leaving so much that we loved and so much that we were excited for and so much uh, uh, investment in Virginia, but we knew that we wanted to move back home. We knew we wanted to move to Tennessee, and we were so excited about starting something new. In fact, that's what Alenia means. It begins the beginning of a new train of thought. And that's what we want for people. We want people to have an Alenia moment where they can begin anew. They can start over. And so another way that we can experience something new is, you, is you know, families love this. They have the babies. The babies come along and it's, oh, the babies. We love the babies. And hold the babies. And everybody gets their baby fix. And then, and then the cries and you give it back to the mom, right? Because that's what we do. That's why grandparents love babies so much. Because they can get all the joys of the babies, but they don't have any of the heartache. They just feed them up with candy, and then they give them back to the parents. But new births are always awesome. That's why I want us to be a house where people have new birth all the time. Why? Because when people come to know Jesus, it's exciting. It's a spiritual baby. It's like, yes, this is awesome. This is great. I remember our second child, Weston, um, he was a, a very, I started praying, God, I don't want any more miracles when it comes to my children. It's too stressful. It was exhausting. But my wife had a complete previa, and I'm not going to explain that to you. Look it up on Google, but let's just put it this way. The exit was blocked. Baby wasn't coming out the way it was supposed to come out. So the doctor said, listen, if you have any problems, we need you to call the hospital and come to the hospital immediately. So one morning we woke up and my wife came out and she goes, we got problems. And I was like, okay, let's go to the hospital. So we went to the hospital. The doctor checked everything out. Baby Wesson's fine. And I, there's a whole story about Wesson. I will tell you some other time. It'll take, take me too long and I'll end up crying. So we're not doing that today. So uh, Jennifer's at 33 weeks right at this point. Doctor's like, congratulations, you've just bought yourself a six to seven week stay in the hospital. So Wyatt is 18 months old. So I go back home with Wyatt and uh, I put him to bed, batching it. Me and Wyatt are batching it, you know, staying up late watching TV. Uh, probably gave him some root beer at 18 months old, you know, it's what dads do. And uh, put him to bed and then I sit down and I watch one of the greatest shows of all time, Lost. Anybody remember Lost? Yeah, what happened to the days of Lost? There's, there's no more shows like Lost anymore. So I'm sitting there watching Lost, and then I get a phone call from my wife. And she's, she, this, is the, this is the entry of the phone call. Where are you? I'm like, I'm at the house with your son, all right? I'm being a good dad. She goes, you got to get here right now. The baby's coming right now. All right, so this is maybe 12 hours later from checking her in. I know, it was, I know what day of the week it was because I was watching Lost. Lost went off, turn off the TV, the phone rings. My wife is like, get over here right now. So I call a really good friend, and I stand out in the driveway, and I wait for her to show up. She runs in the house. I get in my Toyota Corolla. I like a bat out of you-know-what, go to the hospital. I'm probably doing 80. I'm blowing red lights. I do remember blowing red lights. Pull in, park illegally, go into the hospital, hit the button as fast as I can, run up to the, to the, the labor and delivery board, run down the hallway. I am 
drenched. I am sucking air. I'm not in shape at this point. I'm wheezing. I'm like, <laughs> and, the, and the, the nurse at the station says, are you? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. She goes, okay. So she puts the booties on. She puts the gown on backwards, puts the cap on. And she just takes me into the room. And there's my wife laid out like William Wallace. And I'm like, this is going to be interesting. So I sit down. They have a little stool for me. And then this is my wife's head, and here's her arm. So I'm, I'm holding her, holding her arm. And by the way, my wife is—I don't know if—I don't know if all wives are like this, but when we did birthing class, they're like, just caress her face, rub her arm. And my wife is like, don't touch me. Do not touch me. So uh, I'm sitting there, and they do not prepare you in a C-section for the jostling and the noises. And the smells. And they also don't, they don't prepare your wife to be able to see her insides on her outsides through the visor of the doctor. Because it acts like a mirror. So she's sitting there and, and the baby comes out. Here comes Weston and he's fine. And he spent a, a month in the NICU because he wouldn't eat. And after he got out of the NICU, he hasn't stopped eating, uh, which is great. So they take him. She's like, is Weston okay? He's like, he's okay. And, and so the, all the adrenaline start wearing down. So the doctor's sitting there doing her thing. She's, she's, putting, she's putting my wife back together. <laughs> and, and she looks over and she says, are you okay? And my wife says, thanks, doc. I'm, I'm fine. I really am. And the doctor goes, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about your husband. Because at this moment, I'm like this on my wife's arm, and I'm about to pass out. I'm, the blood has drained from my face, and I'm like, if I pass out, just drag me out into, into the hallway. She says, if, we pass, if you pass out, we have to take you to the ER. So they're giving me arts. My wife is split open, and they're tending to me, giving me orange juice, giving me ice chips, trying to make sure that I don't pass out. So, new birth. We love new birth. And then we had baby Weston. And everybody comes over, and the grandparents come over, and the, the, the neighbors come over, and everybody brings banana bread and chicken casserole and fried chicken. And it's a new birth. We get to celebrate. Now, why am I telling you the story of new birth? Well, because... This passage, John 3, 16, that everybody knows so well, for God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life, is smack dab in the middle of a passage where Jesus tells someone that he has to be born again. So let me read this passage to you. It says, there was a man from the Pharisees, a religious sect at the time. They pretty much ruled Israel on the religious side. Of course, Rome was oppressing them. It says, a ruler of the Jews. Now, this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm going to read that again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we have this phrase, the kingdom of God, all the time. And I don't know if we ever stop to think, like, what is he talking about? Like, we think heaven. We, we immediately think the kingdom of God. 
but it's actually more than that. You know, we talked about the very beginning that Adam and Eve were asked to rule with God. So what do you rule? You rule a kingdom, right? And everything was ruined when Adam and Eve took the tree, ate from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, disrupted the entire plan, the invitation that God had for Adam and Eve to rule with him. Now, last week we talked about God immediately began hatching a plan of how he would redeem mankind from that moment when they chose to doubt God's goodness and sin entered the world. So when sin entered the world, God is so good, God is so holy that he had to remove them from his presence. And if you look all through the Old Testament, there's always these examples of animal sacrifice, which is really, 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 really weird to us. But animal sacrifice, there was something about it that would, would cover the sins of the people. So we have the Abrahamic covenant where God says, you know, through you, Abraham, I'm going to choose you and bless the entire world, all the peoples, not just the Jewish people, all the peoples through you are going to be blessed. And then we have the Davidic covenant where, where God tells David that you are always going to have someone sitting on your throne ruling the kingdom. And then we had the suffering servant. We read the passage last week from Isaiah, the suffering servant, that he was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. From Isaiah. That's not a New Testament passage. It's an Old Testament passage. Well, Isaiah also gives us another messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy simply means the Messiah, the one that was promised in Genesis that would come and restore everything was wrong. Make it right. That's what it means to be the Messiah. It says for this in Isaiah, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, the Dominion. There's a ruling word there. The Dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. So Isaiah is talking about there is going to be a ruler that's going to come and he's going to establish his kingdom. And what does Jesus say? You've got to be born again to be able to see this kingdom. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is more about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and making right what was wrong. How do I know this? Well, look at Matthew 3, 2. It says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near, has come near in the person of Jesus Christ. So again, we have in John 3, 1 through 3, Jesus replied, he's telling Nicodemus, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is what I love about this passage, is if you kind of read into the passage and look at what's happening, what does Nicodemus do? He sits down across the table and he says, Rabbi. It's a, it's a title of respect. He's saying, teacher. He's saying, I respect you. I, I believe that you're someone special. I believe that you are from God. He's, he's kind of saying, hey, you don't have to worry about me. I don't doubt you. I think, I think there's something special about you. But what does Jesus do? He, he doesn't even acknowledge it. He says, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like Nicodemus was saying, for, for, for no one could perform these miracles. For no one could perform these miracles and signs unless 
God were with him. And it's almost like Jesus taps him and stops him and says, hey, you can't see this kingdom unless you're born again. He just interrupts Nicodemus' thought. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, let me read some more of this passage because this gets really confusing to Nicodemus, and I love it. And this is not going to be on the screen, so um, you don't have to worry about that. Truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, before that, Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? He's like, well, I'm not sure if I want to do that. He said, no, no, no. He said, you got to be born of water. you got to be born of spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus is like, how can this be? He said, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who's descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's speaking of himself. Now, Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then this is our passage. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son. Now that whole lifting up the the snake in the wilderness might sound really, really weird. But there was a a moment in in Israel's history where they rebelled. And God sent venomous snakes into the camp to punish them. And God provided a way for that punishment to be lifted off of them. So the craftsmen went and they crafted a bronze serpent. And they lifted up the bronze serpent in the middle of the camp. And as long as the people would turn away from what they had done and turn their eyes towards the serpent that had been lifted up, the snakes would, dis- would dissipate. And Jesus is drawing that correlation between the serpent in the desert with the nation of Israel and himself. It's foreshadowing. Jesus is saying, hey, just like that serpent had to be lifted up so that the nation of Israel must be healed, the Son of Man has to be lifted up so the world can be healed. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But how how can this be? See, um, I was listening to one teacher, uh, Mackie. He was saying that what Jesus was telling Nicodemus was it's no longer good enough to be born into the right family. That was a big deal for the Jewish nation. We're born of Abraham. We're Abraham's seed. All of y'all are just Gentiles. We're the chosen ones. And Jesus is saying, hey, It's no longer good enough just to be born of Abraham. You have to be born anew. You have to be born again. You have to look to the one who is lifted up so that your sins can be forgiven. And this is what's fascinating about this whole story. Nicodemus is a religious teacher. Think about it. He's sitting there across from the Son of God. 
He knows the prophecies of Isaiah. He knows the, the story of, of Ezekiel and, and, and the image on the chariot that has all the wheels, and it's just a really, really weird um, prophecy. But there's a man like shining gold on top of the chariot, and he knows all of these, he knows all of these prophecies. He, he's taught them. He's read them. He has studied them. And here is the fulfillment of those prophecies sitting across the table from him. The one to take away the sins of the world. You got to remember that everybody thought that the Messiah was going to come and wipe out the enemies. Everyone thought that Jesus was going to come. They didn't know it was Jesus, but they knew that the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come and rule, establish his kingdom. That's what Isaiah, Isaiah says, right? He says he's going to establish his kingdom. And so it's confusing to see a man live so selflessly, so lovingly, so graciously, because they wanted him to come in on a white horse with a big sword and take out Rome. So he asks, how can this be? And he says, well, I have to be born again. And so... This is what we need to understand about being born again is being born again is where our sin has been taken care of on the cross. And we are born again, born anew in righteousness. Look at what first Peter says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now, I don't know if you remember, but last week we read that passage. Isaiah. He says, all of y'all sheep are like gone astray, but by his stripes we are healed. He is the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Look at 1 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake he made him. This blows my mind. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Why is that? Jesus had to become our sin. He had to die to that sin so that we could become God's righteousness. It was an exchange. It was Jesus standing, on the, standing there being hung on the cross knowing that he could have called the angels to save him. It was Jesus going up there, taking all of the sin on the world, and in that moment he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And he dies. He dies to that sin. But in exchange, those who look to him and believe to him are given the righteousness of God. 1 Corinthians 5.17. This is one of my favorite passages. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen, anyone who is in Christ, he is not a better what he was. He's not a better, it's not like Jake is in Christ, Jake is now a better Jake. Nicole is in Christ, Nicole is now a better Nicole. No, it is they are new creations. 
Jesus didn't come to make you better. He came to make you new. He didn't die on the cross just to play patty cake. He died on the cross to take out the sin that was so easily besetting you. That's what Jesus was here to do. He was here to take the burden that we could not take. Because he loved you for God so loved the world. Man, I'm telling you, that verse wrecks me every time. Because it makes me, it makes me evaluate, do I live that way? Because I believe that a lot of us believers we act like God so hated the world that he sent his son to die for it. But it says God so loved the world. He loved you. He loved you right where you were. He loved you right where you have been. He loved you when you looked at that on the screen. He loved you when you made that mistake. He loved you when you stumbled. He loved you. He's always loved you. And he sent his only son to die for you. He sent his only son because he knew that's what you needed. What you needed. And so what we need to understand is Nicodemus, sitting across from the Son of God, confused, trying to understand, born again, this makes no sense. I am not doing that again. And Jesus is trying to get through to him. I'm like, no, 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 listen. It's not what you think. You have to be born again. You have to. And you got to think about what Nicodemus was being asked to do in that moment. His entire childhood, he was raised to be a good Jew. He went to school to be a good teacher. He knew the law inside and out. He had most likely memorized all of the Torah, much of the prophets. And he was part of a he was part of a religious society that cared more about what you put in your mouth than what came out of it. He was part of a religious group that cared more about not lifting a finger on the wrong day than about people. And so for him to begin following Jesus, it would upend everything that he knew to be true. It would upend everything that he knew to be life. And that's what God is asking us to do when we begin following Jesus. Is everything you know to be true, look instead to Jesus, the Savior of your souls, Allow him to take your sin. He already has nailed it to the cross. And allow him to give you the gift of righteousness through his son. That's what it means to be born again. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I just pray right now that your spirit would be thick in this place. As people respond to the gospel. I'm going to give everybody an opportunity. If you have never begun to follow Jesus, just like the scripture says that the nation of Israel just looked to the serpent the same way for us to turn our gaze away from us 
in the things of the world and instead put our gaze on Jesus. It's a simple word called repent, that we begin pursuing him. If you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that by praying a simple prayer. This prayer is not in Scripture. It's not a magical prayer. It's not a formula. It is a condition of your heart that you make the decision to begin following Jesus. But you can begin by just asking him this. Say this out loud with me. Dear Jesus, I love you. I believe you died for me and took my sin. I believe that you rose again three days later, defeating death, hell, and the grave. Send me your spirit to give me strength as I pursue you in all things. In your name we pray. Thank you for tuning in. A few questions for you as we log off. What is God saying to you and what will you do about it today? If you made a decision to follow Jesus, would you let us know by going to aleniachurch.org forward slash connect. Thank you to those who support Alinea Church financially. If you would like to partner with us in reaching people with the gospel, you can do so by going to aleniachurch.org forward slash give. God bless.